the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now, it's the Rob Black Podcast. You can hear Rob live every weekday morning from 10 to noon on 910 AM and Talk910.com. Let's start with some headline news. As we do at the top of the second hour of the show. These are the news stories that are out there for you to consume. But we don't want you to go away, so we play them here for you. It's looking like a big showdown in Washington as Democrats press ahead with a big financial reform plan. Fox News' Doug Luzadar reports from Washington. Republicans say they support cracking down on Wall Street, but a filibuster may be in the works. Here's Republican Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell on Fox News Sunday. What I'd like to see is an opportunity to prevent the Democrats from doing to the financial services industry what they just did to the health care of this country. Republicans say the plan will encourage more bailouts, more reckless behavior by creating a $50 billion resolution fund. There's still hope for a bipartisan agreement today, but even if they don't get it done, Democrats think they'll be able to embarrass Republicans in the process. In Washington... Doug Luzader, Fox News Radio. Financial reform scares me a little bit. In large part, how deep does it go? When you reform the financial companies, you could say things like, you can make these wonderful examples. You can go, well, just two years ago, these guys were breaking into our house and stealing from us. They asked us for money, and we didn't change the locks. You can make that story. You can make that case that the financial companies were laughing during the mortgage meltdown. You betcha you can. It's easy. Ultimately, I don't want to punish them too much because they're kind of our big brothers who lend us money. Financial institutions, for better or for worse, are a needed evil. And having them be more capitalist or more socialist, it's tough to say a publicly traded company Shouldn't not go after capitalism and shareholder value and shareholder creation, wealth. It's really tough to put that out there. Really tough to put that out there. Um, in large part, you could see that socialism doesn't always work as well. You could see that, you know, the Soviet Union at one point in time collapsed under social social structure and social pressures of communism. You can see that socialist nations have failed. So... I'm not so sure that I want to socialize and or throw it to the government's direction, you know, mandating what is and isn't capitalism. That would be like mandating your business idea. Let's say you come up with a great business idea that you're going to, to like make raccoon coonskin hats, right? And the government comes in and says, well, you're only allowed to do 100 of those a year. But there's demand for 200. You're like, screw you guys. I want to do 200. So you kind of see how maybe the government's not exactly helping sometimes when they say, let's cap some things. Now, again, is there a way, other ways of doing it? Yeah, I think you can throw you know more taxes on them, tax more of their profits, tax more of their revenue. There's other ways of doing it. You know, keep it like tax their margins. So there's ways of going about it. Now, in a bit of sad news, 
And this made me think a little bit of myself. The former frontman of Poison remains in critical condition after suffering a brain hemorrhage. The, the problem was discovered after Brett Michaels, most recently known for reality TV exploits of shows like Rock of Love and Celebrity Apprentice on NBC. He checked into a hospital with a severe headache. It's bittersweet. It's not a great day when you lose a good friend. But I'm surely glad I didn't get fired because, you know, everyone one day has their comeuppance. And I'm sure mine are coming, but I'm going to fight till the end. Every rose has its thorns. Poison. That's poison. It is. Of course it is. So, um, Poison did some rock ballads. They did some hard rock songs. Where do I go at from this story? Brett Michaels has a brain hemorrhage. He has diabetes. I don't want to say he's my age because he's older than me. But I see a story like that, and it's a little bit tragic. I remember in college, I had a huge, massive crush in high school on a girl named Rachel Hebert, who my mother referred to as unfortunate looking. Took her to homecoming. And in college, we reconnected, and she went to William & Mary, and uh, Poison was playing, and She's like, yeah, I mean, my girlfriend's got tickets. Do you want me to get you extra tickets? I was like, sure. So I go to Poison with four girls, and they deck out. They do the bustiers. They they push up their their boobs. They do everything they can to look sexed up and glammed. And it was a fun show. And it was one of those things where you're like, metal band? Are they even a metal band? I don't even know. Anyway, so when I see uh, Brett Michaels damaged and hurt and brain aneurysm, I'm like, I better go check on my my medical insurance. I better go check on my disability insurance. You know, a brain aneurysm, he's slurring his speech. He may never, ever be able to get in front of media ever again. And that's that's how he's paying his bills these days, is getting in front of media on shows like The Apprentice. Elsewhere, a financial settlement in a tragedy that should never have happened. Police in Camden, New Jersey, searched everywhere for three missing boys in 2005. Everywhere except the trunk of the car of one of the families. And that's where the bodies were found. Authorities believe the boys who apparently locked themselves in the trunk accidentally while playing were still alive when one officer quickly checked the car, but not the trunk, early in the search. Now the families of 11-year-old Annabelle Cruz, 6-year-old Daniel Augusto, and 5-year-old Justin Pagan have settled their lawsuit against the city. They'll receive a total of two and a quarter million dollars. Hank Weinblum, Fox News Radio. Now... My goal is to always take a look at the news from a financial perspective, and this one hurts. To have three children lock themselves in a trunk and die, that's socially painful. I can't even grasp that. I can't grasp being a parent and burying a kid before he buries you. It's absurd. It makes no sense. But at the same time, kids are playing, and they lock themselves in a trunk. A cop comes out to help try to find the missing kids. He doesn't check the trunk. Now, are cops trained for this? Absolutely, they're trained to check the trunk. But his failure to check the trunk, is it really his fault and not the parents' fault? First and foremost, what were the kids doing playing in a car? Second, how did they get access to the trunk? The car was not locked. At some point in time, parents need to take responsibility. I'm sorry, but that's the damn truth. That's true, 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 true. At some point in time... Cars aren't made for kids. They can take the emergency brake off, roll down the hill, and kill themselves. They can run over a baby while they're doing that. Like, parents need to be more responsible. Now, the parents that it wasn't their car, yes, they had to bury the kid. And yes, there's some, you have to point blame at someone. And you don't want to sue the person who, whose kid also died. And I understand that we're a nation of sue, 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 sue studios. Like, that's who we are. But to sue for $2.5 million because a cop didn't look in the trunk... 
I, I'm sorry that that just brings up question marks in my head. I don't, I don't get it. I, I, I don't get it at a time where people should be mourning. And I'm sure they've mourned because this happened four years ago and they finally win a case against it. I just, I think kids sometimes die in tragic ways and to blame the city and the police force. I, I don't get it. So again, why didn't the parents check in the trunk? Why was the car open in the first place? I, I don't get it. And finally, not finally, <laughs> feel a little down these days. I know I am. I've got the, all my muscles are cramped up today. Need a good laugh? You better. Well, Fox News Radio's Colleen Capone explains why in today's House Call for Health. Doctors are discovering that laughter really could be the best medicine. The results of a recent study from Loma Linda University showed that the health effects of laughter are similar to the effects of moderate exercise. After viewing a humorous video, study participants had lower cholesterol, blood pressure, and stress hormones. They also showed an increased level of endorphins. For more on this story, visit foxnewshealth.com. House Call for Health, I'm Colleen Capon, Fox News Radio. I think I believe that. And one of the things I do believe in is keep your health as healthy as you can because bad health is unhealthy for you, financially speaking. So keep your health up. Laughter is a good thing. There's no doubt about it. There's a study out there that says you can't actually be depressed while skipping. Now, Again, if you're depressed and about to jump off the Brooklyn Bridge, Rob Black's not prescribing skipping. But it, it goes to show you, like, physical exercise is a good thing. So if you're one of those baby boomers who didn't save enough for retirement, Go for a walk. Go Get out. Increase your health. Exercise a little bit. And then finally in news today, what will not be, will not be a slogan for either Dos Equis, but will not be a, a campaign for tourism into Mexico. Mexico's interior minister says drug cartels are now specifically targeting law enforcement and government officials. Fox News Radio's James Blears reports from Mexico City. Up to now, most of the 22,000 victims of Mexico's three-year drug war have been members of rival drug cartels. But Mexican Interior Minister Fernando Gomez Montt says that the cartels are switching their focus to ambushing and assassinating officials, especially ones connected to law and order. The director of public security, Michoacan, narrowly escaped assassination over the weekend, while seven police officers in patrol cars were shot dead in the border city of Juarez. In Mexico, James Beers, Fox News Radio. That's a shocking number. I don't know if you picked up the number in that story. 22,000 people have been killed in three years. They've got their own little mini Iraq war going on in Mexico tied towards the drug cartels. If they ever hit a resort, that country would implode. That country would implode if they were to start killing tourists. Because that country needs tourists. The only thing I throw out there is that sometimes you think things are running smoothly in your life and they don't go the way you want them to. And as an investment, same exact thing. 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the Rob Black Show. Coming up, I've got some emails for you as well as some stock ideas. Stay with us on 910 AM, more stimulating talk. like blowing 10 grand in Vegas on the first day and then making it all back and more on the second. The Rob Black Show on 910 AM. More stimulating talk. Let's start with some emails from you. 
There's a letter in your mailbox. You're having new mail in your inbox. Mm, you've got mail. You've got mail. Pattern baldness. There is a message for you. Prepare to be astonished. <laughs> Welcome in to the email segment. You can email me, Rob, at robblack.com, R-O-B at robblack.com. This one comes to us from Joe. Hmm. He says, is it time to invest in financials? I have a three to five year time frame. If so, is XLF a good one to get into at this time? How um, much obliged? Thanks. So sometimes you have to edit people down because they get kind of wordy in their questions. So XLF is a iShare index of a lot of financial companies. That's probably the easy way of explaining what it is. It's it's 10 of them. It's, it's 10 or more of them. So it's an index where you don't have to say, I'm betting on Citigroup or I'm betting on Bank of America or I'm betting on whomever. You're basically holding a large portion of financials. I think that makes a little bit of sense. So um, it gives you some diversification. It gives you... Just in case you pick the wrong one, you're betting on the sector. You're betting on the theme of the investment group. I'm in financials. I'm comfortable with financials. I've been comfortable with financials for a year. I think the easy money is over in financials. I think they still go up over the next three to five years. So, Joe, I would go for it. But what I bet, you know, what's referred to as Jack and the Beanstalk is as milk money or as lunch money. No, it's not a magical can of beans that's going to grow up to the kingdom of the giant. There's no goose that lays golden eggs that you're going to get to. I would say the easy money happened during the crisis, 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 where you would turn on the news and you would see financial crisis in America. That's typically the best time to invest in anything. Whenever there's a crisis tied towards it, that's typically the best time. Elsewhere, Steve says in San Jose, he drops me an email, he goes, I started out about a year ago with nearly equal investments in couple of um, indices. Since then, one has outperformed the other two, and one of them has greatly underperformed the other two. I'm considering reducing one and adding to the other, i.e. rebalancing. So it's interesting to note. He wants to reduce the one that greatly outperformed and add to the investment that greatly underperformed. So he wants to take the outperformer, cutting a little bit of its head off, and put it in the underperformer, thus getting a higher cost basis for more shares at a lower cost. Gosh, this sometimes radio fails financial commentary, and it, it, I'm sorry about that. It, it's a good idea. It's a good thing, rebalancing. For instance, let me give you a different example of rebalancing. In my 401k, let's say I have four choices. Let's say I have... Investing in North America, total stock market index. Investing in Asia, index. Some bonds and Europe. And I know that for the rest of my life, I want to be 50% America, 30% Asia, 10% bonds, and 10% Europe. That's my allocation for the next 10 years. Let's say I'm wrong in the next year. And, and stocks in America greatly outperform. And thus it makes, like I went from 50% America to 60% America. 
my 30% of Asia, you know, underperformed. It goes from 30 to 20. What I would do is I would cut from my winner to buy more loser. So that's how you do it in index funds. So with stocks, you tend to let your stocks who are winners run. And you don't tend to under, you don't tend to say, I want to buy more of a loser. But that's, that's, that differs because some people are like, they they know their losers are going to come back. And if you know your loser is going to come back, let's say it's like Procter & Gamble. Great, great, great Google and Moogla. That's a great one to buy when it's weak. But how about if you bought a tech company like Exodus that used to, you know, host data 15 years ago during the dot-com boom. But they spent so much money on equipment, they couldn't pay their bills. That one goes from 60 to 5. And you're like, I'm going to buy more of it. They still aren't earning money. So I, I can't say on balance that rebalancing automatically is a great idea. I like rebalancing in mutual fund portfolios and, and index portfolios. Um, individual stocks are slightly different. And again, it, you really have to have the time frame to rebalance. I don't like rebalancing into indexes and mutual funds when you're on the older side, when you don't have time for it to work. Let's go to Damien in Santa Rosa. 800-345-5639. Damien, how are you? Doing good, Rob. It's the Omen from Santa Rosa. What's the omen? That's what you called me last week. I call, oh, Damien the omen. <laughs> I'm a little slow today. Hey, had a question for you on uh, rebalancing. Um, some coworkers and I, we have a, a four, five, seven, and we're going to be um, rebalancing into some other um, funds that we that, okay. are, that they offer. And we had a question regarding um, moving existing uh, balances in the funds that we have right now to meet the new strategy that we're all going to be working towards. Um, kind of a kind of a out. queer question for you, Damien. Why are you working with coworkers on balancing theories? We all got to put our heads together, you know. Okay, okay. I'm, I'm with you. I, I think that's a nice idea, but keep in mind. Okay, here's the cons of it. The cons of it is you may be working with people who aren't as financially savvy as you. Mm-hmm. The pro of it, you may be working with people who are better at it than you, and right. their naysaying may actually help you. Right. So it's one of those things where you kind of like just throw it on the table, round robin. It's not something that we're all like sitting down, moving the money at the same time. It's like round-robin discussion as to okay, okay, okay. What, what to do with the future allocation. So I didn't quite get the question. Um, restate it for me. All right. Um, basically, we have, like right now, we have mid-international and large cap and a little bit of bonds. And we're going to change the percentages to add in more funds to diversify broader Okay. within the funds that they offer. Okay. And so should we take the money that we have in our portfolio right now and change it to meet those new allocations? Yeah. Or leave it as it is and change a future allocation. Okay, I got you. So basically, let's say you have $100 and you're going to add an extra $5 every month. Do you use the new $5 to fund the diversification or do you start chopping up the 100 to fund the diversification? Damien, there's really not a right answer. How old are you? 37. 37. And I've been in the um, 457 for about 10 years. Are there any costs in selling funds and buying funds in your 457? No. Okay, so there's no loaded funds or anything like that. No, no tax impact, no. Okay, then I would go ahead and get the allocation that you're comfortable with and don't try to time it. Um, if you ask around, and the, the reason I throw this is, how many market timers do you know are successful? None. Um, none. There was a guy who played baseball named Lenny Dykstra who was a big market timer who filed for bankruptcy. Sometimes market timing can get you so famous that you're on CNBC, that the world loves you, everyone's interviewing you about how smart you are, and the next thing you know, you're filing for bankruptcy. So 
I would go ahead and do it since you're on the younger side and then pick up the paper and say, ooh, when do the Sharks play again? Or when do the Giants get, get a chance to show off that impressive offense again? Right. How, how about bonds, though, in terms of our age? Um, what is it, like 28% in, in uh, bonds? Because there's, there's three bond funds they offer, but yeah. only one is secure um, in terms of, like, treasuries. Um, it's, it's a VBTSX. This is not going to sound wildly cool of me to say out loud, but I think you're almost too young for bonds at this point in time. I think when you start becoming wealthier, and this is not conventional wisdom, this is this is kind of modern portfolio theory, I would say you want to accumulate a million dollars. If that's your goal, a million dollars, and as you get to 700000 600000 that's when you start saying, now I need to add some bonds and become a little bit safer. Kind of like right now you want to add some diversification. Right, but what happens if half of the... The portfolio is in cash. I wouldn't have half in cash. I think that's right. ridiculous. Right. And so shouldn't some of that, if the if a person doesn't want to go into equities, shouldn't I, they move some of that into bonds instead of cash? I do not like the idea of bond funds in this interest rate environment. Uh, if you're going with bond funds, I would go with a treasury inflation protected security or a zero coupon bond or a California municipal, like a, a junk bond, but tied towards a state versus tied towards a corporation if you can. There is one junk bond um, that, they, that they do offer. So, But I, I thought I was... I, yeah, again, I don't like junk bond corporations. I like junk bond states yeah. right now because uh, the, the junk bond corporation, uh, you're not getting rewarded enough for the premium, for the yield they're giving you. Thanks for the call. Thanks. 800-345-5639 to get your calls on the air. Let's go to George in Fremont. George? Hey, Rob. How you doing? Doing well. Okay, yeah, I got uh, something real quick. I'm 55, and my wife and I stupidly spent a lot of money on our credit cards. We can afford to paint it. Uh, I, I figured out it'll probably take us, you know, a thousand bucks a month for uh, the next two years or so to pay that off. But I put in, you know, maxim out my 401k. Uh, part of me says, hey, pay off the 13% interest one first. Before we continue into the 401k, or or just uh, keep both and uh, you know pay the price in the long term on that uh, two and a half year pay, repayment plan. Yeah, any any debt over eight percent you title as must pay off debt as soon right. as possible. Um, okay. Do not take money out of the 401k to do oh, it, no. George. If you could honestly, if you can search your budget or search the heart and soul of your budget to pay off all your debt faster, you're too old to have as much debt as you have. Um, And again, I would search your budget. Like this weekend, I got Chinese food. I probably should have had, if I was in your position, ramen noodles. Right, Um, cup of noodles. Cup of noodles, and I know that sounds horrific, but you're too old to have that much debt. Exactly. Thanks for the call. Always target any debt over 8% as soon as possible. You label it on fire, must get rid of. 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. Coming up, I've got a jeans company investment idea, a media company investment idea, an audio technology investment company idea. It's Rob Black Show. 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639. 9, 10 a.m. More stimulating talk. Sports Car 
cars, and women are expensive. With Rob's help, you can afford them. You're listening to The Rob Black Show on 910 AM. More stimulating talk. It's Rob Black Show, 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. Let's go to Phil in San Francisco. Phil? Hey, Rob. How's it going, my friend? It's going well. Good, good. I had a question for you. Just kind of know what your general take is on silver. Um, it's a poor man's gold. Okay. Wh- um, are you for it or not? I was at a, 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 at a wedding over the weekend, uh-huh. and um, a, a personal friend of mine there was kind of heavily hitting me up on, on the silver and how he was doing it and that I should get into it. And I, I just need to get your take on it and see where you stand. I would never, ever take advice from someone who doesn't really know finances, i.e. works in it. And or doesn't and or also tied to know your situation. Um, sometimes people want you to do what they're doing because it benefits them. Sometimes they want you to do it because they think they're all smart like that. To me, if you put a chart of GLD on top of a par- chart of SLV, what you're going to come down to is you're going to see that gold is a better hedge on inflation as far as precious metals go. Whereas if you put a chart of copper on top of silver, you're going to see coppers is a better investment for um, economic strength or economic um, growth. One cyclical tied towards inflation and one cyclical tied towards growing businesses. Um, I think, ah, good golly, for instance, let's see. If you think inflation is going to get out of hand, you can play silver as a poor man's gold. I would prefer that you play copper as a play on economic strength or gold as a play on inflation, hedge on inflation. I'm not massively against silver. I think it should be one of the last components you add to a portfolio or a metal or commodity. Uh, for instance, you know, why didn't he tell you about beef? Why didn't he tell you about hogs? Hogs and beef and chicken are outperforming as commodities, silver and gold. So how about, why didn't he tell you about wheat and corn? Why didn't he tell you about other issues like oil? Oil's underperformed. I like sometimes buying the slow people that are going to be in the race for the long term. Oil's been a, a terrible disappointment in the last 12 months as has natural gas, as had coal. Now, coal companies have done well on the export of to China, but you're talking about commodities, and adding commodities to a portfolio should be done later in life when you're wealthy as either a protection against inflation or as another component tied towards economic growth. See, the problem when you buy silver is silver's just silver. It sits there. It's pretty. It's lovely. It's kind of sexy as a metal goes. I like it. I prefer women wearing silver versus women wearing gold. I think gold kind of characterizes the 85-year-old shut-in woman with her big gold bracelet, whereas silver is more kind of sexy, more modern metal. Um, But the problem is it doesn't have a job. It can't fire anyone. It can't hire anyone. It can't come up with silver 2.0. We don't use silver for anything other than killing vampires. Is it vampires or werewolves? Mm, see, I don't know. Silver cross. For some reason, I want to say silver bullet will. Silver bullet kills werewolves. That's right. So, um, so silver's not all that in a bucket of chicken. You know, to me, I think there's other ways of doing it. But am I going to talk you totally out of it? No. Is it the worst thing you could possibly dream of? No. 
Are you high smoking crack cocaine because you thought of it? No. Is it my favorite? Not really. Let's talk about something that I do like. There's a company called True Religion. Ticker symbol TRLG. And they're a play on women buying jeans. Now, you know, I am a red-blooded American through and through. Um, I am a man's man. I do men's work. I don't watch football, but I do everything else that men tend to do. I can swing an axe with the best of them. True Religion just reported earnings. And it's a company that I like. It's a play on the economy. It's also a play on women under the age of 25. Women under the age of 25 aren't going to Sears to get a, a pair of Wranglers. They're not, you know, blue-blooded, blue-blooded women or red-blooded women in America. Uh, they're not wearing Wranglers. Their shares have risen from 19 bucks on two uh, a couple months ago, a couple years ago. So 19 bucks on March, April, on February to where they are now at 33, just two months later. Now, I think there's some further upside to the stock. I think the growth pro- profile is attractive, and it's kind of exploded on a good level. So I like True Religion, in large part, again, because they're not penetrated in America on a crazy level. They make jeans. They make upscale denim wear. They do other apparel offerings like jeans and skirts and jackets and tops. But their number one audience are, are women under the age of 25. And women under the age of 25, they're not saving in their 401k. Women under the age of 25, they're, they're not, you know, eating cup of noodles. They're racking it up on credit. So I kind of like true religion, ticker symbol TRLG. If you want to play a, a very, very poor man's way, and I, I prefer women apparel over men's apparel, there's one for men called Joe's Jeans, which is kind of the same idea, but for men, it's high-end denim for men, but kind of more on the executive level, kind of more on the Barney's level. Uh, not quite as appealing of a demographic as true religion. And honestly, as a red-blooded American man, there's nothing better than a good-looking woman in a pair of jeans. So that that's a whole Sunday afternoon for me. Now, there's another investment idea that I want to get out there, and it's tied towards sound. Avatar just came out on Blu-ray DVD, and it's the top-selling Blu-ray DVD of all time. Just like, boom, just like that in four days. What once took, you know, the previous number one, months and months and months and months and months to break, Avatar breaks it in a day or two. Now, there's a company that I like. It's called Dolby. Ticker symbol is, is DLB. And what does Dolby do? They do audio technologies. You know it, and I know it, right? Dolby's been around. They're, they're a company that doesn't really make product as much as they license product. Have you ever been sitting in a movie theater eating your bucket of popcorn? The commercial comes on that says turn off your cell phones and the next thing they do is they introduce you to the sound system it's like and they have a jet flying over and like you're listening to dolby so what the company does is they license their sound technology their noise reduction technologies their consumer audio technologies their video equipment licensing is about 80 percent of the revenue now here's the beauty about licensing if anyone wants to license the image of rob black i'll let you do it Anyone wants to license the image of Playboy Bunny, you know, the, the black bunny or the white bunny on the black background, Playboy will let you do it. Now, Playboy is going to charge you a, a set amount of dollars for using their image. Same thing with Dolby. They're going to charge you. Now, what's the nice thing about this is a lot of these technologies were, were, were created a long time ago by a guy named Ray Dolby and 1600 plus patents that they're still enforcing and pushing. That's a very good business model. If you take a look at the shares of Dolby, ticker symbol DLB, oh, sitting at an all-time high. Just where they throw that out for you. Um, 
We want our entertainment, but we want our entertainment to sound good. 800-345-5639. It's Rob Black Show, 9, 10 a.m. More stimulating talk coming up. I've got some Apple stories because I can't get through a day without Apple. Money buy happiness. Well, do big houses, nice cars, and hot women make you happy? Then, yes, money definitely buys happiness. The Rob Black Show on 910 AM. More stimulating talk. Today, we're saying goodbye to one of our interns. And again, it just goes to show you that 20 to 40 years is a long time. It's been a while since I've been in college, it's been a while since I've been 20 something. I remember uh, ecstasy. We refer to it as X. Kids today now refer to it as E. The fact that I'm saying kids today basically tells you that if I were to hang out with her, I would be the old creepy guy hanging out with kids. And by kids, I'm not talking about goats, but 20 years isn't that long in your head, is it? But you only work from age 20 to 60. So she says ecstasy is now known as E. I knew it as X. I was like, maybe it's an East Coast, West Coast thing. Then Roy Lamella, the voice of traffic, comes in and says, oh, no, 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 it's definitely X. But then Heidi says, no, no, it's definitely E. And I'm almost thinking it's like if you go to a club, it's E. But if you take it anywhere other than a club, it's X. Girls go clubbing. Guys don't really go clubbing. Guys that go clubbing are feminine. There, I said it. It's out there. They're emos or emus. See, I don't even know the term there, but we don't really live that long. I mean, we really don't. And you have from age 20 to 60 to invest in and build up a nest egg. And in 20 years, it's gone from X to E. I never saw it. And I never knew that. What's going to, how long do you think it's going to take your house to rebound? Now, keep in mind, there was an article out there today that I talked about that said the stock market, the S&P 500 will be at 3000 in roughly eight years. Now, keep in mind, our housing disaster started in 2006, as far as the bubble popping. Go back to the NASDAQ at 5,000 and where it's at today, you know, 10 years later, 10 years later, 10 years after the bubble popped, where are we on the NASDAQ? When we're at 5,000, 6,000 on the NASDAQ, we're only at 2,500. We've only recovered half. We're halfway back. I mean, we still have, we have to double, which will probably take another seven years historically to get to where we need to be. That's stunning. And again, that's 17 years. So if you bought the NASDAQ at a top and historically, let's just say it does what it's supposed to do in the next seven years, it's going to take 17 years to be made whole. The housing market blew up in 2006. How long do you think until that finds its own little place in the world? I'll tell you, a lot of people have gone bankrupt. A lot of people. A lot of people are blaming me on it. A lot of people are blaming Obama on it and Bush on it. Instead of the people you should have really been blaming, in my opinion, is Congress. Way too many laws were passed that made it way too easy for banks to throw out lending. Now, the banks did it. They were allowed to. Those parameters weren't set by them. They were set by Congress. The encouragement wasn't theirs. Last thing in the world a bank wants to do is lend money to someone that's not going to pay it back and have millions and millions and billions and billions of dollars of losses. You may think banks are evil. They're not stupid. 
So anyway, let's talk a little rebound in real estate. I know I said I was going to talk about Apple, but earlier in the show, I said I was going to talk about real estate. So talking about this whole 20 to 40 year time frame and when do we get back to being whole? I think it's 2012, 2015 on real estate. And there's some markets like Central California that will never come back ever, never, ever, never, ever. I think Coastal California, pretty much so in large part, will be back 2012 to 2015. Maybe a little longer, depending on jobs and you know foreclosure numbers. The housing market, is it on the verge of recovering? Here's some signs that you need to look for. And I talk about these on a regular basis on the show, during the show, during the week. The show's heard every Monday through Friday from 10 to noon. There's a podcast available of it at Apple iTunes. Pending home sales. According to the National Association of Realtors, the number of homes that are under contract and or in the process of selling, pending home sales are considered a leading indicator. That means it's telling us about the future. They can forecast the direction of the economy because when you have people building homes and buying homes, they're going to go to the paint stores. They're going to go to the carpet store. They're going to say, I need a new roof. Let's hire a contractor. So leading indicators can't predict the future completely, but they can be used. Another sign that housing is recovery will be the housing starts. Housing starts are an important leading indicator. Basically, not just the housing market, but housing starts are tied towards the whole economy as well. Because again, when you have a permit to start a house or when you start building a house, you have to hire a lot of people to build it. You got to get nails and you got to get lumber and you got to get concrete. You got to get the guy who drives the concrete truck. You got to get concrete from the concrete company. There's a lot. You got to get copper guy who brings the copper, the guy who orders the copper, the guy who, who goes in the mine and gets the copper. So housing starts at the second important indicator on the health of housing. Third would be new and existing home sales. New home sales reached a record low in February. Now that was according to the National Association of Home Builders. In 2005, 1.2 million new homes were sold per month on average. The good news is that home sales increased by 20% in the West recently. So these statistics, new and existing home sales, shows us the volume. It shows us the, the speed of what's moving left and what's moving right. Now, again, in 2005, at the height of the bubble, 1.2 million new homes. In February, 308,000. Probably somewhere in between lies where we should be. You see where I'm going at with that? Fourth, most important, not most important, but fourth on the list of indicators that housing and real estate's recovering is home inventory. How many homes are out there? Right now, there's an 8.6 month supply of existing homes. There's a 9.2 month supply of new homes. Last year at this time, we were at about 11.1 months for new homes and 9.7 months of existing homes. That's how many months it would take from today to 9.7 months till we sell every existing home. Or from today for 11.1 months from now to sell every new built home. Now, that's not exactly a great indicator because, again, that's tied towards new and existing home sales. Where are we in that between 300,000 and 1.2 million number? Another issue to look at in determining whether real estate's back like that is housing affordability. The median price of an existing home in the United States in 2010, 164300 bucks. Think about that for a second. Average mortgage rate was 4.99%. Credit's difficult to obtain right now. Most families can't buy homes without a mortgage. If you compare these numbers that I just gave out, the 164,000 in February of 2010, 
with numbers in 2007. The average home in 2007 was 217000 Mortgage rates were at 6.5%. So now the average home is worth less, even though it has a less lower mortgage. So you want to look at housing affordability. The number one thing that I look at when it comes to buying a house is can I afford it? And one of the ways that I can afford it is the interest rate. Now, mortgage applications, also an important indicator in determining real estate, is it back or not? For the weekend in April 9th, mortgage applications declined by about 10% year over year. That shows you how much demand there's going to be. Four-week moving average, it helped smooth it out a little bit, was down about 6.2%. So maybe last week was tied towards bad weather in the United States. But over the, all in the last month, applications are down 6.2%. We're tired. We're exhausted. FHA gives us money. Obama gives us money. We can get tax credits. Gives us money. If we want a house, we basically have had the opportunity to get a house. Another big story or another big angle in buying a home and real estate values is is mortgage interest rates. Where are we? I'll tell you right now, my mortgage that I got last year was 4.8%. I think in the next 40 years, that's as good as it's going to get. I honestly think I hit a home run. There was a moment where it dipped below it but I would have had to been lucky to catch it. For a 30-year fixed mortgage, now it's 5.1%. Back in 2007, it was about 6.7%. Your mortgage interest rate determines how much home you can afford. If you go take your salary of 100000 and you figure out you got $2,000 a month, how much home can you buy at 5% versus 6%? A lot less home at 6% than 5%. I think you also want to look at real estate mutual funds when determining real estate is it back or not? In the first quarter of this year, real estate mutual funds returned a 9.4% return. That's the highest return of any mutual fund categories. Investors are jumping in saying, we feel, money's jumping in saying, we feel that there's good times ahead. But keep in mind, I just gave you seven signals. And ultimately, the last signal that I got to give you is that there's going to be mixed signals. There's issues like high unemployment rates. There's, you know, difficulty obtaining uh, credit. There's the home buyer tax credit going away. It, it's difficult to determine sometimes. Let's go to Daniel in San Francisco, 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls on the air. Daniel? Hey, Rob. Um, great topic. Uh, my wife and I are first-time home buyers, and we're looking at the different programs that are available. Uh-huh. But I wanted to comment on what you were saying about how Congress ultimately, uh, your, your, your opinion was that Congress ultimately um, had their hand in the reason why banks were able to freely lend. Uh-huh. Um, my thought was, though, what about uh, the buyer beware um, mantra? I mean, there was that, I, I've heard you use that term before, and I don't see why uh, buyers should be exempt from the responsibilities they had for getting those uh, predatory, getting involved in the predatory loans and that sort of thing, knowing that they're going to have to balloon payment or... Okay, Daniel, or, or, Daniel, a real quick question for you. How much do you and your wife make per year? Um, we probably make about 90000 Okay, so you want to hear what you could actually afford? I, I mean, no, and it's not going to be a lot. It's $270,000 home. Right, and we're, we're going to be commuters. <laughs> okay, it, the more you decide to be a commuter, the less you decide it's an actual investment. But see, buying a home is not a necessity. It's more of like okay. a... Well, no, no. What I wanted you to hear, what I wanted to hear from you, Daniel, was screw you, F you. You're crazy. I'm not buying a home for 270000 because that's going to put me in Stockton. 
No, that's but that's not. But we understand what we're getting ourselves involved in. Okay. We know that we're going to have to commute because of the the job is in this specific or in our location in the Bay Area, and we're not going to be able to get someplace in San Mateo or Burlingame. We're going to have to go to say like Pleasant Hill. But we know that. Okay. And we we're not going to we're not going to buy a four hundred fifty thousand dollar home out here for the sake of convenience. It just okay. would be too expensive. I, I hear you, Daniel, and I love it, and I, I I'm proud of you, and, and congratulations. The one thing I want to end with on this note is don't ever look for your home to go up in value because no one no one wants to live in Pleasant Hill. If it goes up in value, you're going to be lucky. So what I would do in Pleasant Hill, if I had to buy in Pleasant Hill, I'd buy in the best street, the best school district, period. I'd pay that extra premium because I don't want to commute jobs, and I don't see a lot of jobs heading to Pleasant Hill. Now, again, that's, you know, you know that, and that's good that you know that. It's the Rob Black Show, 9, 10 a.m. Thanks, Allison, for being our intern. Be back tomorrow morning. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.